Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, we're talking about how earning Bitcoin will change your life. Mandrik, an OG Bitcoiner from 2011, joins me to share some of his stories and what was going on in those days, libertarians and Bitcoin, early wallets, working at some of the Bitcoin companies in those days, and of course, why earning will change your life. This show brought to you by swanbitcoin.com the fastest way from zero to Bitcoin. Swan Bitcoin offers really easy sign up. There's no altcoins. They're really cheap. They are available in all states in the US. They're a great place to send your friends and family when they are ready to start buying Bitcoin. So a common way people get started is they start with a one-time buy and then commence dollar cost averaging. And Swan Bitcoin was built to do just this. You can create a recurring purchase plan and if you want, you can also make one-time buys. So Swan supports bank wires and ACH transfers. So go to swanbitcoin.com slash Levera and Swan will drop $10 of free Bitcoin into your account when you become a member swanbitcoin.com slash levera. Knox is a Bitcoin custodian dedicated to ensuring comprehensive insurance coverage for client assets. Much of what passes as insurance today isn't purchased for the sake of protection, but for pure marketing reasons. Knox believes insurance should exist to make fund recovery possible. No sharing coverage between customers. Knox takes a unique approach when it comes to purchasing insurance for customer assets. Coverage is set aside exclusively for every customer in a one-to-one capacity, all with a comprehensive policy covering a range of loss and theft events, including internal collusion. If you are a Bitcoin company, RIA, fund, trust, or family office, make sure to contact Knox to discuss Bitcoin custody and insurance. That's knoxcustody.com. Lend at HodlHodl is a global Bitcoin-backed lending platform, so you can lend and borrow anonymously on your own terms. This is a peer-to-peer lending solution using multi-signature escrow for every deal. So this is a way to grow your savings and earn returns on your investment. So if you've got stable coins such as USDT lying around, you can create an offer and you can earn interest by lending on Lend at HodlHodl. On the other hand, if you have bitcoins and you need some liquidity, you can borrow stable coins and keep on hodling. So with this platform, you set your own terms and put up offers depending on how long you want to borrow or lend and the interest rates. Go check it out, lend.hodlhodl.com. On to the show. Mandrick, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. Um, it's it's nice, you know, you always have these intellectuals on and it's nice you'll have a change of pace here with this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, uh, it's funny because people talk about Bitcoin like, you know, in some ways it's like the anti-intellectual thing. You know, there are these people with these fancy degrees and whatever and yet people who, who people can be like a high school dropout or a uni dropout and they played their cards correctly with Bitcoin, they could have well outperformed their uh, university credentialed brethren. Yeah, I'm a college dropout, so I would qualify there. <laughs> well, there you go. So Madrick, I know you have been around the Bitcoin space for a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into all this? Yeah, I, you know, it, it was an interesting year for me, 2011. That's when I first heard about Bitcoin. And it, it was the hardest year and probably the best year of my life. Uh, really a challenging year because I was laid off from a job that I worked at for a decade early in the year. So I was, I was with this company for 10 years and they laid me off. And then uh, I went through a divorce a couple months later. And then I moved to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project, which is a bunch of libertarians and ANCAPs living there. Um, I spent a few years up there, but it, I just moved there at the time. And all these things were happening. I was going through, uh, oh, the, the other big thing, I was obese all my life and just changed my diet to a more keto-focused diet. So 2011 was a busy year. And then I moved to a new place I'd never lived in and trying to figure out how I'm going to get by. You know, And I was trying to live my ideas of liberty and trying to come up with uh, accepting alternative currencies. And there was a good friendly crowd of people up there who were up for that. And you know, at the time it was silver and gold, but by the end of 2011, I heard about Bitcoin when somebody offered to um, pay for baklava. I was selling baklava on the internet. I was just doing whatever I could to make some extra dollars. And I always grew up cooking. And so making baklava was just kind of natural and I was selling and shipping it out. But yeah, I was offered uh, some Bitcoin to sell to Roger Veer. Wow. So that was your first exposure. Up until then, you had never heard of it. I'd heard of it earlier in the year, but with so much going on, I just didn't have the, I wasn't in the mindset and ready. So like beginning of 2011, I first heard it. People were asking me if I I had a couple random people ask me if I'd accept it as payment for baklava. And I'm really glad I didn't because that summer, the price shot up to like 30 some dollars and then dropped to four, three or four dollars, something like that. 
and I got in right after that happened. And I feel like if it happened, if I got in right as the price was going up and then it crashed, it would have just, it probably would have, I wouldn't be here. It'd be like a completely different life. <laughs> I, I really believe that because I just wasn't in a sp- space where I could afford or afford that to happen. Yeah. And you were already a libertarian as well, right? It's not that you came into Bitcoin and then became a libertarian. No, I mean, I, I, I was woken up by the Ron Paul movement in 2007, 2008. Uh, that, that was a life-changing moment i know you had dr paul on your show and that was that was great to hear from him he's just he's just an absolute legend and it, it, it's like so much respect for the man uh but yeah i was one of those people who heard of him and uh i'd already liked gold and silver at the time you know back then because uh, my dad taught me the value of gold and silver when i was a kid so i always ha- I had a couple silver coins you know he gave me like a older silver you know 90 silver quarter when i was a kid and i thought it was so cool and it sounded neat <laughs> so the idea of sound money was embedded in me from a very early age but i also i love playing video games i was a gamer all my life so the idea of a digital currency made sense too yeah There's a lot of pieces just kind of fell into place because I, I think to, to fully grasp bitcoin you have, to, you have to be in the right mindset especially in 2011 yeah for sure that's so early and I, I'm curious as well. So in some ways, it's like, uh, you know, VJ's multiple touchpoint theory, right? So the first time you heard about it, you know, it didn't really click into you. But then later, you know, uh, you, it actually took. So what was it about the second time that made you actually go further into it and see the value of Bitcoin? Uh, just the idea that I could use it as an alternative currency to the dollar when at a time when I was trying to figure out I, w- I was in that place where I had just lost that job and I wanted to live amongst other libertarians, you know, work with them and do business with them and try to come up with ways to accept different payments other than the dollar. So Bitcoin seemed like the perfect fit. Uh, and also I was at the time I was converting a lot of it back into dollar and it was cheaper to do that than to just get paid in PayPal. There were there were less fees. You know, I could just sell to somebody in person. Um, which sounds insane now because you're like, oh my gosh, you were, you know, my first order of baklava was 14 Bitcoin, liquidating it for some cash because I, you know, I got to pay my rent or whatever because I'm still just trying to figure out how to get it back on my feet. But as time went on, as the weeks and months went on of me accepting Bitcoin and more, there was, it was a big movement up there as well. In late 2011, 2012 in New Hampshire, a lot of other ANCAPs were getting on board with Bitcoin and they wanted to use it. Um, and I was there and I was like, I was willing to accept it as payment. I was still accepting silver, but I was happy to accept Bitcoin. And the more I started accepting, the more I realized I'm like, hey, this is really cool. Like, maybe I should start holding on to this, you know, because this is like, this is like a really cool thing. Like, and we, we didn't have all the memes back then. We didn't have, you know, number go up and all this stuff. So we, we were still kind of just figuring it out. But but yeah, I mean, you could see the appeal without fully realizing. I, I don't think I fully grasped the value of it until years later. I think it took a lot of time. Yeah, for, for sure. For me anyways. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's like the earlier libertarians who got into it as well, some of them had th- their focus more was the agorism aspect as opposed to the thinking of it more like a long-term savings and a settlement layer uh, explanation of Bitcoin's value. That was to come later. I'd love to go further into what was the context at the time bitcoin wise like as an example um you know the mining i'm sure the what people were using for mining was not uh asics might not have been a thing yet at that point um the the software that you would use i mean nowadays we think of it like hey it's the ideal ways to run your own you know bitcoin node and ideally have a hardware wallet and so on but there were no hardware wallets at that time can you just set the scene for us in terms of how you used bitcoin back in those days in late 2011 oh yeah sure and this is great because it's, it's very laughable now in hindsight but uh back then i was using mount gox i, I did <laughs> <laughs> super technical i mean i I've, i worked customer service most of my life i grew up in my dad's diner um you know so i dealt with customers like that and i worked in a call center for a long time and I did do tech support stuff, you know, and I put computers together, things like that. But I wasn't like super duper technical enough to fully understand the importance of securing your own Bitcoin, running your own node. Uh, That wasn't really something that was as obvious back then to to those who weren't as technical, I think. And we didn't have the resources to fully understand that. But so for me, it was just I would just keep my funds on Mt. Gox. That's where they would sit. I I had some cassaceous rounds that I that at first, you know, they they were the physical, the original physical Bitcoins. People would had a bunch of those up there. Uh, They were being passed around for all kinds of food and stuff. And I peeled like 11 or 12 of those and just put them in my Mt. Gox wallet. (laughs) (laughs) It was just easier. I just like, I don't want to lose this. So 
I'll just trust them with Mount Gox. They're the most trusted name in the business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's funny how things, uh, you know, the, the thinking shifts and people learned. Now, I guess there were a few parts to this, right? So if you wanted to actually just literally just run uh, Bitcoin Core, or actually, funnily enough, it might not have even been called Bitcoin Core back then. I think it was just called Bitcoin. Yeah, it was just Bitcoin, I think. Yeah, it was Bitcoin QT or Bitcoin. And you could... Now, I guess one advantage then is obviously the blockchain was a lot smaller then. And so you actually, it was a lot more feasible to just literally run Bitcoin Core as a wallet. So I'm sure you probably knew people who did that, right? I had done it myself, but it didn't click with me. I, I consider myself a bit of a slow learner. Sometimes I just I just need to be in my own space, in my own head to just mess around with something because it doesn't always click with me the first time. So I had tried to use it, but Gox was just convenient. I was just like, oh, this is, again, this is insane to say these things now, but yeah, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I, I understand the journey I went on and that was a part of it. But yeah, it just, it just didn't, it, the, the, the user interface was, wasn't, it didn't look very good. It wasn't as friendly. I don't know. And the idea of self-custody, like I, I had already at that point, I remember in 2012, I already had friends that had lost funds to forgotten passwords and things like that. And that was scary. Yeah, for sure. And I, certainly I'm not like the, the aim here is not to kind of judge you or whatever for what was this. It's just to set the historical context that this was a normal, this was a normal practice in the earlier years of Bitcoin. I mean, even for me, I'm, I'm of a later vintage than you. I'm, I'm from the 2013 uh, uh, cohort, if you will. But uh, even in those days, it wasn't as understanding around it was not as strong then. And the tooling we had in fairness as well, the tooling was not as easy as kind of the stuff that we have now. Um, I guess back at least in the times that I, you know, the earlier days, I, I knew there was this idea of Armory and you would use Armory offline wallet. And that was like that was like the main thing. So you would have Bitcoin uh, well, Bitcoin QT, now Bitcoin Core, and you, that would be your online computer. And then you would have an offline laptop with your Bitcoin Armory. And that was the way you would do this kind of like, that was kind of like your hardware wallet back then, before hardware wallets. Right. And I remember trying to set that up. I had a friend show me it. We used to, I mean, we started having Bitcoin meetups in New Hampshire as early as uh, 2012. We were having them. I'm trying to think, I think it was like mid 2012, they first started. Uh, and I remember somebody bringing a laptop and showing Armory. And I just thought, I don't know how I would ever set this up. Like I, I don't, I don't feel comfortable enough to do it. But yeah, even, even back then though, like, yeah, a lot of us were using Mt. Gox, but that was just kind of what people were saying. Like the people who we were hearing it from, like the bigger, the people who, who got us into Bitcoin, I guess they were recommending, no, oh, just use Gox or use InstaWallet. I don't know if you ever heard of InstaWallet, but that was like a, that was basically a, you would go to a, their, their website and it would generate a, a unique URL for your wallet. And basically, if you lost it, but the problem is Google started caching the, the, the URL. <laughs> so kind of a neat concept, but a complete disaster as uh, people's funds started getting stolen. I, I had friends lose funds to that and then never got back into Bitcoin. They feel like that they, they lost everything then. And it's cra it's crazy. Like the, the, the history of people losing Bitcoin and just feeling like it's too late now. You know, Bitcoin's $20 or $30 and I lost it all. But that was that was the beauty of 2012 for me. Like I'm so glad I, I had the time to mess around in, in at such an early time because so many of us were in it for principled reasons. There wasn't the idea of Bitcoin going to the moon or whatever. I mean, it was kind of the meme was there even back then, but it was just it was more like a joke. I mean, we didn't really think that would actually happen. It's just Bitcoin's going to be five dollars forever, you know, and that's. And it's fine. It was it was fine. Like it wasn't a problem. That was it was a thing of beauty in this small community. People using these five dollar bitcoins. I mean, for me, like no matter no matter what fud is happening today or whatever, I just think back to those times and I'm like, I I, I don't know. Bitcoin was such a beautiful thing back then, and and it's it's so much better now. Like with this news coming out now, how is this even remotely? scary at all <laughs> yeah for sure um i yeah just i mean even from my experience uh, coming in 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 the 2013 days it was like oh wow i couldn't imagine bitcoin being ten thousand dollars that was like a big deal right it's incredible to think now it's like now it's like oh the price drops into the low 30s what are we gonna do you know <laughs> the little thirty thousands. it's the end of the, the end of the bull market <laughs> it's just it's just laughable so i think the other big difference is spending Bitcoin, right? So back then, I think it sounds to me like it really was seen more like a day-to-day -day transactional. So can you tell us a little bit about the the thinking and the mindset back then versus what it is or how you view it now? Well, I mean, that's what, yeah, it was used that way. Um, transaction fees, you could you could get away with zero fee transactions. They'd get it confirmed. I mean, that, that was how it was because there just wasn't much activity on the blockchain. The uh, Free State Project has a yearly festival called the Porcupine Freedom Festival, and it's held up in the uh, White mountains of new hampshire every every summer 
and it's a great festival. And I, I cooked there four years in a row. We had my buddy and I had a food stand there and we accepted Bitcoins. Uh, we accepted Bitcoin the last two years we cooked there, which were uh, 2013 and 2014 were the two years we accepted Bitcoin. Oh, I'm sorry, 2012 and 2013. And in 2012, I remember the activity was enough to people notice like a peak in transactions because of all the Bitcoin transactions that were happening at the festival. Like they noticed a peak that weekend. We're talking a few hundred transactions. I mean, it wasn't really much, but but like you can notice a, a, a noticeable bump. So yeah, I mean, it was easy to use for day-to-day transactions. You know, you could send a couple dollars and you didn't have to even include a fee. It was almost like the fee was like a tip almost. I remember thinking of it that way. Like you were tipping the miners for for including your transaction, but it was optional. I remember that's how it was explained to me at first. That's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah that's right. I, I mean, it's interesting how thinking on that has shifted. And in fairness, in the early years of Bitcoin, the block subsidy was so much greater in Bitcoin yeah, terms, it was, obviously. It was 50 in Bitcoin. fiat terms, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's huge. You got 50 Bitcoin. I mean, now that's insane. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's a big potential around this idea of earning Bitcoin. And this is something that you have very much being a proponent of. So why is it important to Bitcoin? Well, for me, I, I always wanted to get away from the dollar. I, I, I was trying to live like this, like be, being a libertarian, you, I'm sure you completely understand this, being a libertarian or an ANCAP or whatever, you have these ideas that you know they make sense. You want to live your life in a principled way, but it's nearly impossible in this world that we live in, right? Like, how are you going to fully commit to this? So you have to, it's like the rational side of you is like, you know, I still need dollars. I still, you know, I'm still going to drive on the roads that whatever the taxes, and I'm going to pay my taxes because I don't want to go to jail, things like that. You make you make compromises where, you know, you fight, you pick your battles, I guess. But with earning income, and when I was living in New Hampshire at the time, it was easier. It wasn't easy, but it was easier to earn Bitcoin because there were people getting into it and they were excited about it and they wanted to use it. And I was happy to take it. So for me, that's that became my goal. It's like, how can I move away from the dollar as much as possible for my salary, for whatever income I'm generating. I, I didn't have a salary. You know what I mean? But yeah, so started out at first, you know, maybe a portion of my my income was uh, Bitcoin. I'd still get some silver from people. I'd accept that, you know, even barter, trade, whatever. But the, the focus as 2012 went on, the focus for me was, especially by after, after that pork fest, after that summer, that festival we cooked at, I had said by the end of the year, I want 100% of my income in Bitcoin and I got to figure out how I can do this. And I was, you know, I started cleaning houses for some people up there and who would pay me in Bitcoin. For me, it was just, it was just more rewarding to see my pay, my, my salary in Bitcoin. And I was also going through that phase where I realized I wanted to keep a hold of it. So it taught me to, it, I, I, I appreciated what I was earning more because I wasn't earning dollars, cuck bucks, whatever, you know, <laughs> I was earning Bitcoin and it's like, this is the coolest money ever. And then it's like, oh, I got to pay my bills. So now I have this amazing thing. I don't want to get rid of it. So I'm spending way less than I ever would if I was earning dollars. Every, every purchase is now I have to think about selling Bitcoin and I don't want to sell it, you know, or trade it or whatever. And it's like, how, what, how can I live my life without having to do that? So it's really, it's really like a change of mind. If I was, if I was buying, I didn't buy my first Bitcoin, I think till 2013. I don't think I, I FOMO'd in, in the April, April bubble. I FOMO'd in near the top and then got wrecked when it dropped to like 60 bucks, uh, but still held, <laughs> but yeah, but I didn't, I didn't actually buy, I didn't actually spend money to buy Bitcoin until then. I mean, I, that was almost, almost two years later, a year and a half later. Yeah. So it was primarily earning for you. And so then you were also working in some of the very early Bitcoin companies such as BitInstant and uh, blockchain. So tell us a little bit about how the, that came about. Yeah. So I just through my connections with uh, in the Free State Project, cooking, selling baklava. Um, and I, I'd done a couple podcasts too with some, some people just like co-hosting and stuff. I'd made it public. I was people pretty much realized I was trying to come up with ways to earn Bitcoin because I loved it so much. And I wanted to be involved. Bitcoin was my life. You know, it's like, how can I make this a bigger part of my life? So it's just connection, just people, you know, people in the industry, which was, you know, the industry at the time was like five businesses, maybe <laughs> it wasn't really an industry, uh, just making connections, personal connections with that. I knew Eric Voorhees obviously had a, a hand in uh, BitInstant and Satoshi Dice at the time, but, uh, he introduced me to Charlie Shrem in, in sometime around like, well, I met Charlie over the summer in food, but at the end of 2012, they connect, I, I was connected with Charlie and he was like, we're looking for customer service people, you know, we'll pay you in Bitcoin, you can work remote and then, you know, your answer, you'll answer support tickets for a bit instant. And I'm like, cool, sign me up. I don't know what I'm doing, but you know, I'll figure it out. I, I love learning. You know, like I, 
I love going into a role and not really understanding it and having to learn it. That's that's to me, I love that challenge. Like it's a lot of fun. So it was a great experience, you know, working. I started working there and I was there in the office when the the early April 2013 bubble happened. You, you said you got involved in 2013. What? Yeah, yeah. So I was around the start of 2013, basically. So I experienced the March and April run up and then the November run up and all that. Yeah. And the and the I think the over the April run up is overshadowed by a lot of people. I think they look at it as like one big one bubble 2013 was it's one like one thing but really for those who lived through it it was like two two events you know yes april one, absolutely april one wasn't as big but it was big you know it was it was a big deal bitcoin was shooting up i think sometime around february it started going up to like 30 dollars, and then march it was taking off and then it broke a hundred dollars and it was like the craziest thing ever i mean that's when fomo was just kicking in so hard for so many people and I was working at BitInstant. It was it was insane because I was working with BitInstant. A lot of our liquidity was going through uh, the exchanges we used were Malcox, BTCE, and Bitstamp. Uh, Bitstamp's still obviously around, but like we were dealing with whenever Malcox had a problem. If Malcox had an issue, which was all the time, we basically were shut. Like we couldn't do business, and it was insane. And there was a week where I, the week that it peaked in April. Of 2013, I was in the BitInstant office. They went, you know, they brought me down for the week just to hang out. Um, the film crew was there for the Rise and Rise of Bitcoin documentary, which is like the first big Bitcoin documentary. It's it's great. Everyone should check it out. It's free on YouTube to watch. They were in the office recording. Perfect time because it was just the peak of everything. Mt. Gox just failed, and Charlie's trying to run around the office figuring out how he's going to fly to Japan and try to get a hold of Mark because Mark Capilus isn't getting a hold of getting a hold of uh, returning his calls or whatever. <laughs> it was just insane, and it's so cool. Like. In my mind, I never wanted to be the guy running a company. I I was just happy to be on the rocket ship, you know, just in a very small role. I'm I'm fine being on the rocket ship, cleaning the bathrooms. It's it's great. I'm on the ship. Like I'm I'm here. I got this great seat to the show. You know, I don't I don't need to be running things. It's fine. That's that's great for me. That's that's really all I wanted. It's just to be involved with Bitcoin in some tiny way. So it's just really cool to have that opportunity to be there to see things like that while earning Bitcoin. Like. I don't know. That's more could I want in my life. I don't. That was, that was so awesome to me. Yeah, that's really cool. And I know um, there are you know stories floating around, and even companies like Kraken, who you know were paying. I think there was like some early Kraken employee from like 2012 who took all their pay in 2012 in Bitcoin, and then I think they were retired from like 2013 or 14 onwards, right? So it was just that was it. Right? Yeah, and that's the thing. It, well, for. A lot of us, it was never seen as an investment early on, but over time, obviously, the value versus dollar, it's a huge role of it, especially as you've seen it just go up just orders of magnitude. It's such a huge part of what Bitcoin is. You can't, you can't really deny that. Like, it's just incredible. All this FUD and everything, and it's still just like every, you know, every few years, it just wakes up again. And it's like, here we go. It's craziness. And yeah, a lot of people did get wealthy. A lot of people, a lot of people in the early days, and I know a lot personally who, were involved in Bitcoin on a bigger level than than I was. They aren't necessarily wealthy today, or they, they you know they don't they're not into Bitcoin anymore. There's just so many so much that can happen between then and now between like health health problems or just just dealing with the despair of just watching your your net worth drop by eighty percent. I mean, it's really hard when when that happens because you if you're not in it for the right reasons and if you're not in a healthy place physically financially and, and you know mentally how do you hold on as you watch your net you know these bitcoin just drop just from a thousand to you know a couple hundred bucks or back in april what was in april 2013 when it was like 200 some down to like 60 it, it's just it's painful it's it's hard yeah that's that's the mental part of hodling which is very difficult in the early days when you're first learning how to do it and you're certainly going through big swings so i guess for a lot of those early people it, didn't have, as you mentioned, the right physical and mental um, strength or kind of health about them, it might have been hard to hodl. And also, I think the other reality is people still had living expenses as well. So they were still spending down um, coins to obviously live. So yeah, I guess that was also a, a big factor for a lot of early Bitcoin people. Yeah. And for me, I think this is another thing that I really love about earning Bitcoin. And I didn't realize this. I, I didn't realize this isn't why I wanted to earn Bitcoin. I just, to me, it was an alternative currency. And I, it, just the idea of earning that instead of dollars just felt so cool. It's like I'm living a part of my belief. <laughs> and I realized how cool it was to when you earn Bitcoin and the price drops and you're earning in a bear market mentally, from my point of view, it was like I was getting a raise 
And then when we were in a bull market, I was getting paid less. Like I, I remember when I, I was cleaning houses in, in 2012 for Bitcoin. And at the time, Bitcoin was like five or six bucks. I think I was charging like maybe $150 to clean houses for like to clean like a whole house and do some other like do, do a bunch of stuff, but like six or seven hours worth of work. So it's not like a ton of money and being paid in Bitcoin. And I remember earning those Bitcoin at that at that value. And then the price went up to like 20 bucks. And I felt so disappointed at how few Bitcoin I received for the same amount of work. <laughs> you don't really you don't really experience that if you if it's just an investment for you. It's just it's just like a different way of thinking. I think when you look at Bitcoin as an investment, it was like your life like that. It was just it was very different, you know, like you were almost more upset when the price went up. Like when the price dumped on payday, you were so happy because you're like, yes, I get more Bitcoin. Your goal is, is to accumulate Bitcoin. It wasn't, I, I don't know. So it's like to me, like being in a bear market and working for Bitcoin was just the greatest opportunity. I, I loved it. I, I would never tell anybody who's, uh, anyone who wants to think about earning Bitcoin, it's like, you know, if you, if you wait for a bear market and start doing it, you're going to love it when you see how much you're getting. But then you're going to feel frustrated when the price goes up. And it's very strange. Yeah, right. And of course, I mean, looking back now, obviously, it's very 2020 hindsight. Of course, you know, you should have been earning and or buying as many Bitcoins as you could during the bear market. But I, I think the other point was, in the earlier days, there was not such a strong level of confidence that bitcoin would go back up to the level that it was once at oh absolutely not i mean we would we would go to bitcoin meetups and talk about this all the time and we had we talked about other things too like government bans and all the, all these things bitcoin when it was in those early days and it was an even bigger topic of discussion in 2009 2010 you know with the the real ogs were talking about it but for us it's like yeah that there was that fear so having seen this happen so many times now I think it, at least from my point of view, I mean, I have the luxury of saying it's easier to hold now than it was back then, but it's probably not the case for somebody just getting in who just got in at 2017 and then the price shoots up and they're all excited and then the price takes a dump and through their first bear market. Even though you have that historical, you can look back and you could see that, that, oh, you know, it's come back or whatever. And, you know, it didn't die. Probably still hard, you know, if, for your first bear market, whether it was your first bear market was 2012 or 2018. Yeah. And what about the different thinking? I mean, I'm sure in some ways we are just seeing, I mean, right? It's the same things that come up every few years, whether it's energy, whether it's, you know, quantum computing or the, you know, it's tether or it's something you see the same things just keep coming back again and again. So what was your experience like with that stuff? Uh, with, with the FUD, you know, being, being surrounded by people in person who were using Bitcoin, it wasn't really something that affected us. But when, when I started working, so I, I was at BitInstant and then they, they closed down by the summer of 2013. And I started working at blockchain.info, blockchain.com now, whatever. Um, I started working there September of uh, 2013, August 2013, something like that. It was right before a big, the big bull market, you know, right before the price shot up to like $1,200. The bear market of 2014, 2015. Yeah, there was a lot of FUD. There was a lot of just a lot of like some of the worst stuff because we were dealing with the collapse of Mt. Gox. There was the China bans Bitcoin stuff. There was just all kinds of stuff. And I, and I realized like in the industry, earning Bitcoin, I feel like it would have been the hardest bear market ever to go through because being on the front lines and talking to people and answering just, I mean, I was just answering support tickets at, at blockchain. That's that's what I did for years. And I liked it. I liked interacting with people. I liked helping them with their problems. It, it served as both a distraction from all the negativity uh, and allowed me to focus on the positive things of Bitcoin. And that, you know, it's like, hey, these people, all this FUD's happening, but these people are still just using wallets. They're still they're still using Bitcoin. It's, it's just because there's a lot of negative news doesn't mean Bitcoin's dead. I had that luxury of being able to work in the industry and see, you know, just kind of like laugh at all the negativity. It's like, you know, that's not what's happening, you know. And, and when you work in industry, you talk to other people at other businesses and they're all like, yeah, we're busy, you know, we're building. That's what we're doing. That's what bear markets are for. They're for building. It really helps. I, I For me, like that was, that got me through the worst bear market. Because, you know, right after Mt. Gox, after that collapse, it's not a good time. And a lot of people lost a lot of hope when a lot of like the uh, suicide hotline stuff was being pinned to like top of Reddit and things like that. Like it was legit. There was just it was just a bad time. Um, but I had positioned myself well professionally. So I, for me, it wasn't it was still hard. But uh, even my wife, like my wife, she worked at the company, too. Like she's, I was the first employee. She was the second at blockchain and working with her from home together. Like we would just see a negative story and just kind of laugh at it. It's like, yeah, whatever. We got to get back to work. Yeah. So in terms of doing customer support, what were some of the common issues that people were having when they were you know, learning about Bitcoin in those in those kind of 2014, 15 days? Well, back then, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but back then, 
blockchain.info was a very respectable website <laughs> and company. I mean, this is before the Segway2x drama, uh, whatever it is now, I, the company, whatever it is now, I don't even, <laughs> I don't really have any comment or really care about it. I don't even think about them, but it was a different, it was a different time back then. So the tickets we dealt with were, we had, we had a web wallet and we had the block explorer. The block explorer is how the site started. And eventually there was a web wallet, a non-custodial web wallet. But the tickets we got were everything from just basic questions about the wallet to very, very advanced things about Bitcoin that I had no idea about. And when I started the job there, it was me. Roger Veer hired me there because he had invested in the company. He was he was investing in every Bitcoin company back then. And, and Ben Reeves, he was the founder of the company, of, of blockchain. He's bringing on um, Nick Carey, who was the CEO for a while there. He, I think he's still there. He's one of the founders. Uh, but they were just bringing him on. So I was answering tickets. And Ben's building this website and I'm like, hey, Ben, I have no training. Like, I don't I don't know. Like, I thought I understood Bitcoin. I didn't realize how much how little I knew until I started answering support tickets at blockchain because the just just the the amount of questions, the range of the questions were just it, it was crazy because it was just it wasn't just like um, like a bit instant. As an example, I was answering tickets specifically about orders. You know, they weren't a web wallet. They weren't a, a block explorer. It was just this is where you go to buy Bitcoins. And the uh, questions, types of questions only related to BitInstant service didn't relate to general Bitcoin stuff. So when I started up blockchain, it was it was just this wide range of questions related to, hey, you know, look at this transaction. There's all these things here. I had to learn as I went because Ben Reeves, he was so busy. I'd email him or message him and I'd be lucky to hear back from him. <laughs> he was just a busy guy. And that's a name probably no one knows. And I'm sure Ben's probably really happy with that. But Ben was a legend back then. So I'm I just wanted to give him a shout out, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, so I had to learn as I went and it was great. Like it was such a cool opportunity because I got to, I just, I just got to get paid to just learn all about Bitcoin and spend all day reading and, and helping out users with it. And it was a very different, yeah, very different vibe back then. And with, uh, when the bear market hit ticket volume definitely slowed down and gave us time to catch our breath and just, and just, you know, just work on building company and answering tickets in a timely fashion. That's what I wanted in my life. Like I, after after spending a decade at another company doing a job that I didn't really care about, just doing the, you know, the nine to five bullshit, not miserable, but just, you know, like that, just that middle, whatever, where it's like, yeah, you have your weekends and eh. being able to break free from that. When I, when I being able to break free from that and just do my own thing, even though I had no money and just build on that was just the most rewarding thing ever. Like I tell people I started out in Bitcoin selling food and, and I say cleaning toilets. I mean, I was cleaning houses, but, and that's, this is what I was doing to earn Bitcoin. Like this is this is all I could find to do at the time. There weren't a lot of options. Now there's so many options. It's it's crazy. It's awesome. I love it. Back to the show in a moment. Cyphersafe.io are producing metal backup seed products like the Cypher Wheel, and they've got a product called the Bitcoin Recovery Tag, which specifically helps with recovery. So this is an extra stainless steel tag with information like the original wallet, gap limit, derivation types, scripts used, and there is a recovery tag type for each of the different major hardware wallet types. So you attach this to your seed word backup with a stainless steel cable, and this website link for recovery will actually help you or your heirs with recovering those coins on Electrum. So it really adds that value of helping you recover in practice. It works with any seed word backup device. You can go and buy yours at cyphersafe.io and use the code Lavera for a discount. Unchained Capital are building Bitcoin native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. So you can use a multi-sig vault for ultra-secure long-term storage. And if you need some help setting up, their team offer a concierge service where their team will ship you some hardware wallets, they'll do video calls with you, they'll walk you through the process of setting up and deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault through this concierge service. So normally that's $1,500, but you get $50 off if you use my code Levera. You can also buy Bitcoin through their OTC desk. It's also an option for those of you looking for self-directed Bitcoin retirement accounts. And also, if you're looking to move your company's corporate or business treasury to Bitcoin, Unchained Capital offer advanced business accounts. So there's a whole range of features there. And of course, they've got all sorts of content on their blog as well, if you're interested in that. So go to unchained-capital.com to find out more. Back to the show. Yeah, and I certainly like the uh, the humility you show with that aspect of it as well. That uh, you kind of you're not too proud to just say, "Hey, this is what I did," and uh, "Hey, well, look, I think it worked out pretty well for you." So I'm also 
curious. I know you were talking about this uh, on Twitter recently. You shared a, a little picture with s- some luminaries in the industry before they became uh, well-known names. So we've got uh, Andreas Antonopoulos, Dan Held, and CZ. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like to work with them before they became the names they are now? Yeah, well, that see, that's the thing. Back then, if you if you really wanted to work in the industry and you really put yourself out there, you would land with one of the few companies you know around because there weren't a lot of options. And blockchain at the time was one of the biggest. I mean, even BitPay back then was still well thought of and and a big company. They were growing, but like working at blockchain at the time was so cool. And yeah, so it's like that's why you that's why you ended up with like this guy who's you know scrubbing toilets and cooking sandwiches for people. Now he's working at this Bitcoin company with CZ, Andreas and Dan Held. You know, they're they're joining the team as I go. But uh, yeah, yeah, so it was like, it was really cool. I remember Dan came on in early 2013 and working with him was great. I think he was like the, uh, the product lead at the time. And you know, Andreas was brought on for security. Even with Andreas at the time, it was it was understood. You know, it was like kind of like a part time kind of thing because it's like he was he was doing let's talk Bitcoin. He was he was already a busy guy at the time. Like this is like this is 2013. They all all three were on the team, and CZ was like the unknown, I guess, because Dan had Dan had been with Zero Block, and Zero Block was acquired by blockchain so that's what brought him on and zero block for those who don't remember was it was basically an, an app uh it's like a price tracker app slash uh place to go to look at for bitcoin news all in one place and it was a great app it was, everybody was using it back then it was beautiful i wish wish blockchain just didn't let it go to waste because it was it was a cool app i mean there's a lot of options now but back then it was the choice for people to look to check the bitcoin price on their phone it looked good it was sleek and you know kind of combined news and price in one place which just wasn't uh, there weren't a lot of options for that back then. So he joined the team from that acquisition. Another card, business card I didn't have. Clark Moody also joined the team too. He's he's another absolute legend of Bitcoin. <laughs> so, but, And then Andreas joined, like I said, as part of the security team. And it's really cool to have worked with them. Now, I, I worked remote. Some of them worked more in person with each other. So I didn't have a lot of personal interaction with them as but I did talk to them all the time online and uh, they were all great. Like I got along with everybody there for the most part, I think um, CZ was, was I think CZ had a lot of ideas that he wanted to implement that just didn't go through. And he was probably frustrated and he went off and did his own thing, I guess, I guess it kind of worked out for him. <laughs> <laughs> also in terms of your thinking about Bitcoin and how you yourself learned about Bitcoin, what were the resources that you used? Was it, you know, Bitcoin talk forums? Was it Reddit Bitcoin? Was it Bitcoin Twitter? Was is it, you know, the books, the podcasts? What were you using to learn about Bitcoin for yourself? Bitcoin Twitter wasn't established like it is now. Reddit was really the place people were going. And BitcoinTalk.org also was still the must go. You know, like they, there was just so much information on Bitcoin Talk. But, you know, like for forums, forums is just an old way of looking at information. And it's not really efficient. And even back then, it kind of sucked. But I would still use it because there would be a lot of information on there that would help me with even with helping users solve their problems in my tickets. because. There's just so much about Bitcoin I had absolutely no idea about. So BitcoinTalk.org was a great resource. Reddit was was very helpful as well. And then the fact that I lived in New Hampshire with very, very intelligent people who were super technical and in, and like way into Bitcoin, uh, that was a huge plus as well because I'd go to these meetups every week and meet with them. We would meet in Manchester, New Hampshire, and and we would talk and you know have some drinks and hang out and talk about Bitcoin and. I could pick their brains about stuff. I mean, I can remember a meeting in 20, I, it was either, I think it was 2013 where somebody was talking about generating entropy with dice for, you know, this is the thing now that people do. But back then, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't remember hearing anybody else talking about that. But, you know, like there was a guy there who was talking about, you know, like, oh, yeah, I generate my entropy with dice. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, like, what, do you, what did you even say to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and in terms of like, um, I guess, yeah, just mindsets around um, spending as well, right? Because I think, as as you're saying, it was it was seen more like a day to day thing. Whereas I think yeah. now the 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 thinking is shifting to more like it's long term savings. Um, and you know, if you want to do day to day spends, probably use Lightning for that. I guess that's that's something that's kind of shifted over time. Um, but I guess for people who are, you know, coming into it today, they might be thinking about, okay, hey, should I try to earn Bitcoin? Um, whether, you know, that's a question I sometimes get. I get people who are asking me, hey, um, you know, I really, I really love Bitcoin. Should I work in the industry or should I just keep, you know, earning fiat and buying Bitcoin? How would you approach that sort of question if someone asks you that? Well, I think everybody's going to be different here. I wouldn't, I, I don't just blanket recommend go work in the industry earning 100% Bitcoin. 
if that's something you really want to do, go for it because you have way more opportunities than any of us ever did, you know, a handful of years ago. There's just, there's just so many options now. It's, it's, it's probably still not easy, but it's much easier than it's ever been. And it's only going to get easier uh, as more and more companies come up. Uh, it is, I guess there is the extra challenge now where we didn't have this problem back then, but now it's it's hard to find a Bitcoin only company. So if you're picky, which you should be, I think, <laughs> you're gonna have a hard you're gonna have a harder time. But there are companies that you could work for earning Bitcoin that you might have to do some you, some shitcorn support or something. I don't I don't know. Like there there are a lot more companies, but sadly fewer Bitcoin only companies versus you know the number of just like crypto companies. <laughs> Yeah. And I guess for, I mean, maybe uh, the person thinking, they might be thinking, okay, uh, my skill set only really works in the normie fiat world. So maybe for them, it, maybe it doesn't make as much sense. Or maybe they, you know, if they've got a certain skill set that you kind of have to be in that field to really earn, then maybe for those people, it doesn't make as much sense, right? And for them, it's better to just buy or get, get Bitcoin in some other way. I think there, it depends. Like I, I had my normie job in 2009, when I decided to start selling baklava, I was doing it as an agorist business and it wasn't really earning me much, but it was a way to do something, you know, like my beliefs, I guess, you know, like to kind of put them into practice. I was still working a normie job, but I also was doing that. And then I started earning Bitcoin doing that. Uh, and that was just a small, maybe like 10, 20% of my income. That that was fine. Like you don't have to go, you don't have to quit your job that you're at, that, that you're very comfortable with that, you know, that you even, maybe you love it or something. I don't know. I would say if you're in a normie job and you hate it, Bitcoin has nothing to do, like with not even talking about Bitcoin, like what are you doing there? You know, fig, maybe figure out something that you love. And if you can incorporate Bitcoin into that, great. I mean, that's, that's a whole other thing, but there's still other things you could be doing to earn Bitcoin. I think even if it's just something small scale, like a hobby or whatever that you do. I, I don't know. Everybody has other ways they could probably generate money doing something that they really love. Even if it, it doesn't have to be life-changing amounts of money, it could just be a little bit. And you could just say, okay, I'm going to do this. This is going to be my method of earning Bitcoin. So there's, you don't have to fully commit. You can just dip your toes in it and you know, give it a try and see what you think because it is a different, it's a very different mindset of earning Bitcoin versus buying and investing in the Bitcoin. At least it was for me. That's my experience. And that's why I'm so big on earning Bitcoin. Just it, it just helped me get through so much of this. It helped me become a better holder. It helped me stay humble as well. Because yeah, watching your net worth drop and being a true believer really <laughs> it's tough, you know, when those things happen. But yeah, for sure. I would always recommend just dipping your toes in it. Give it a try. Yeah. And you mentioned earlier as well, because you know, Bitcoin can go through these big ups and downs. People might be worried about the boom bust nature of the industry, that if they go and get a Bitcoin job in a Bitcoin company, that maybe if they went through a bust, that they would lose that job. And then it's kind of, that's a difficulty that they might have to face also. But uh, I suppose you, you managed to weather the storm as well through those years. Yeah. And, and Bitcoin enabled me to do what I want. And that wasn't the goal. Like the goal of Bitcoin, when a lot of us got into it back in the day, wasn't to be like, we're going to make all this money off of it. I mean, if it was, we would have, we would have just thrown all of our money at it. <laughs> you know, like nobody was thinking that back then, at least not so much in New Hampshire. So holding on to that and believing in something and then watching as more and more people have their mo Bitcoin moment, just seeing it grow beyond just the ANCAPs and the libertarians and into just like normie world where these people are buying Bitcoin and whatever, like, they're using it for different reasons. And that's okay. Like when you talked about how the earlier days, you know, it was, the big thing was on using Bitcoin. You know, that's not the case anymore. And that's fine. You have to, you, you can't be this person who just thinks, you know, what's best for Bitcoin. And if it doesn't do what you think it's supposed to do, then it's failed. I mean, how many of those posts have we seen over the years from, you know, Mike Hearn to the whole Segway2x stuff? Like, there's just been so many instances of these individuals who think they know what Bitcoin's supposed to be and they they get to decide that it's dead. But nobody, you know, like they don't get to make that decision. And people who think that way and are very public about it, they're gonna go from hero to villain. That's what happens. And I think that's a big part of why you need to stay humble and acknowledge that, hey, you know, maybe uh maybe it's okay if if what I thought Bitcoin was at one time, it's it, it turned into something else, or maybe it was always that way and we just didn't realize it. Yeah, I really like that. It's a lot of um, self-reflection and self-awareness required to, you know, be that way. And I think you, certainly you're right. Like you have to have a, a good level of humility about yourself and understand that no one of us is important to Bitcoin, right? You could be the most important, you know, it, but ultimately it's a movement and it's a technology that is going to proceed without any individual one of us. And so I think 
when people talk about being a long-term hodler, sometimes there's this idea of, oh, you had to be a genius to do it. And I, I've noticed your perspective is maybe a little bit different. I think your perspective is more like, yeah, you almost had to be a bit more of a stubborn ideological person to do it. Why do you think that? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, yeah, that is definitely my point of view. Like you, the fact that I was stubborn and ideological made it a lot easier to hodl because I feel like if you were smart investor type, you wouldn't, you, you would have looked at Bitcoin and just laughed. You wouldn't have bought back then. At least not in those days. Like, why would you? Uh, you know, I remember talking. I had a financial advisor at the time when I, when I first got into Bitcoin. And I remember mentioning it to him, and he kind of he was like, "I've never even heard of this." And then he got back to me later. He's like, "Don't put your money in this. This is this is like a scam." Or because they they go to these schools and they learn economics and in a way of thinking that's just not doesn't doesn't really mend with or doesn't you know doesn't really mesh with like the Bitcoin thinking. The fact that I didn't have that education, I think, made it easier for me to to get into into Bitcoin. You know, I never I never had that thought. I was. I was more from like the the Austrian school, I guess. The the, the that kind of thinking, uh, sound money, and the whole Ron Paul movement really put me in a place to understand Bitcoin better. Back then, it, it just wasn't seen that way. Bitcoin was just seen as a scam or whatever tool. This it's the same crap they say now. They were saying it back then. <laughs> of course. Also related to what you were saying. The whole libertarian, voluntarist, agorist focus, and of course, I'm I'm a libertarian myself, and I know you are also. What's your view on how that has evolved in the space? Do you think number of people who are libertarians in the space has fallen? Do you think that that represents a problem for Bitcoin, or do you just think, hey, that's just it's just going to have to go that way? Well, I, I've come to acknowledge that Bitcoin is for my enemies too and my friends. So I'm okay with statists buying Bitcoin or whatever. I mean, I can't stop it anyways. And in some ways, it's almost like they're being infected by sound money. Their brains are being infected with this new thing. They don't even realize it. And I wonder what kind of impact that's going to have on them long term as they, as they, if they end up holding Bitcoin in whatever whatever funds that they have it in. I don't know whether they're actually holding Bitcoin or they're they're buying it through something else. It's going to have an impact on them, whether they know it or they fully realize it or not. And and that's fine. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you, you just can't stop the growth. And at some point, it it had to break outside of the libertarian bubble. I mean, I remember, I remember going to my first meetup where I'm talking to people and I'm like, these people are into Bitcoin and they're not ANCAPs. What is this? It was, it was just a strange moment, <laughs> but I was just going to say, but yeah, I mean, that's fine. It was just, I just remember having that moment where I was like, wow, this is so weird. There's, there's people from these other industries that are getting involved in this now. Like, wow, this is, this is just kind of, it was just felt weird. I don't know. Did you notice any people who after buying Bitcoin or earning Bitcoin that they then became libertarians? I think that's happened a lot, right? I think we've seen that happen over time because there are that there are a lot of people who say that like oh came here for the money stayed for the for the i don't know for the the, the different viewpoints and stuff There's just they just they just changed like they had like their ron paul moment i guess that i had they had it with bitcoin i think that's great i think that's that's why i'm okay with my enemies having bitcoin because their brains getting infected with this uh this idea that's just counter to what they were told in, in school or whatever that's just counter to keynesian economics of course and i think in many ways bitcoin makes it a lot more possible to actually you know, see that as a real realistic future that we might move into and like maybe we won't get the full anarcho-capitalism but at least if it if it forces over time if it forces the government to be smaller well i think anyone who's a libertarian would have to say hey that's at least an incremental step better that's at least an improvement on what we have now yeah when when i when i reached the point where i was earning 100 percent bitcoin um working in the industry i realized it's like you know, i'm living in new hampshire we're trying to make it a more libertarian place and that's a very lofty goal when because when you're when you're like a when you think logically and you're an ancap it's hard because you have these idealistic views of, of how the world should be or not necessarily the world but like how you should be able to at least try to have a community that's voluntary you know that it's like hey just give us this plot of land and let us figure it out we don't need to change the whole world let us just start with this community but realistically that's never going to happen i don't i don't think like at least not in my lifetime it it's a really hard thing to find a place on this planet where you can just try just try that as an experiment right like it's like it would be great to just be able to do that but when i looked back when i reflected back on bitcoin it's like this is literally what we did this is this is like an example of that it was a small community people on the outside saw it who weren't necessarily you know libertarians or ancaps or you know cypherpunks or whatever like they were just you know wall street guys or whatever just from all walks of life who were seeing bitcoin 
and they're getting involved with it for different reasons. And they're like, Hey, I want to be, a, they're basically saying, I want to be a part of this community. I want to be, I want to be involved with this. And they're joining for different reasons, but a lot of them over time do come to similar conclusions, obviously not everybody, but you know, it's been cool to see that happen. Just see it grow to more than just that. Cause it's it, as an ANCAP, your idea of a voluntary society is probably never going to happen. Maybe in space or something. I don't know, but on this planet, it doesn't seem, doesn't seem very likely. I wish that wasn't the case. Yeah, of course. I, I yeah, um, I'm probably in a similar camp to you there. So I'm curious as well, from your perspective, why aren't more libertarian people into Bitcoin? Because in my experience, sometimes I, I come across you know other libertarians and I talk to them and I and I talk to them about Bitcoin and some of them are kind of they haven't made it past. There's a few reasons that at least in my experience, I'm curious what you see. So I've seen them say things like, "Oh no, I'm more into gold because I follow Peter Schiff." Or some of them might say, "Oh yeah, I mined some in the early days, or I bought some in the early days and then I sold it." Or, "Oh you know, I was on the Cypherpunk mailing list." But then I never actually bought any Bitcoin. Uh, like These are kind of the answers that I hear. What do you hear when you talk to libertarians who are not into Bitcoin and why? Well, I, I think the argument is is pretty common, right? I think that's a that's a big one. Uh, we were all gold bugs back then when we when we first got into it. Everybody I knew in per, you know, all, the, all my friends, we were all gold bugs and we all questioned Bitcoin. Like we we were like, how is this not a scam? How you know, like we we went through all the same thing that all the no coiners go through now. We went through that, but we we were willing to say, "Oh wow, maybe my way, you know, maybe what all this time like my way of thinking is is wrong here, like or, you know, maybe gold's not, you know, it doesn't have to just be gold." Like we 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 put Bitcoin through that test. A lot of us did. We had these talks. We went through the same like I said, similar things as no coiners did, and we but but over time, you know, and over using, you know, trying to use it and and learning more about it, realized the value of it. We gave it a chance, you know, that's the difference. Some people don't want to do that. Some people are just, you know, you know, gold is money. That's that's what I want. My dad was the same way. He's always been a gold bug. And now he's a Bitcoin guy. So <laughs> and he's in his he's in his seventies. I think with, with libertarians though, like the other excuse, a lot of them got in early and then they sold. Maybe they were buying on Silk Road. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they lost a wallet. Maybe they just had like a 10x happen. Or even, you know, like when the price jumped from $5 to $500 and most money you've ever had and you could just pay off all kinds of things. Logically, you should probably sell. At least at least back then, like I can understand, I can empathize with why somebody would sell because it's like an investment that goes from such a small amount to such a large amount, life-changing money, uh, and that you could pay off some things, or you know, it's like oh, I can finally get whatever I needed, things I needed. Like I can understand why they sold, but then the idea of buying back in—it's like you're admitting that you you made a bad decision, or like you're, you're doing it like you'll never have as much as you had before, so it's not the same. You know, it's like oh, well, I once had somebody might be like, I once had fifty Bitcoin. Now it's like I'll be lucky to get one. I don't know, like. I, I can't really relate to that. Like, I, I just feel sad when I hear stuff like that because to think like, oh, I missed the, I hate when I hear I missed the boat because I've, I've been hearing that since, you know, 20, 30, $40. People are just being like, it's too late now. You know, I missed it. And it's just, it's just frustrating. One of the things where, yeah, it's just one of those things you can't convince somebody if they don't really want to, I don't know. Yeah, I think you make a lot of good points. I think you, there's a certain level of open-mindedness you have to have to see Bitcoin for what it is. Otherwise, you get stuck in your gold bug world or you're stuck in the fiat no-coiner world. The other point that I think that you made very well is that really you have to have humility, that you have to be able to swallow your past errors and say, hey, you know, in that example, let's say you had 50 Bitcoins and then you sold them because, you know, oh, I've made a 10x on them. And now you feel like you don't want to buy back in because, again, it's humility, right? It's thinking, oh, well, see, I'm worth having 50 Bitcoins and I don't want to be buying back in to only have, you know, not even one coin or whatever. And it's an error of thinking about what this thing is and where it's going over the next 10 to 20 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I think back to like, there's so many opportunities where if I really want to beat myself up, I could just dwell on all the times that I've sold Bitcoin and, and did things and just think, oh, I, I'd have so many more coins now if I didn't do this or whatever. You know, that first that first pan of baklava I sold for 14 Bitcoin, I blew it all on seals with clubs. It was an old poker site back, you know, that you, was the Bitcoin only poker site. It was great. I loved it. But that was part of my experience. Brian Mycon, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was great. Like, but that was part of my Bitcoin experience. Like, if I didn't do that, I, I like, I don't know, like, I don't regret, I don't regret ever spending a single Bitcoin. And I've probably spent more Bitcoin, like, I, I, as far as like, at the time when I was earning it, I, I was spending my Bitcoin, like I was using it for a while there, you know, like, for the longest time. And I don't have any regrets there, because I was earning all my salary in Bitcoin. So I was like, yeah, of course, I got to spend some of it. You know, like, I, I, I still got to pay these things in dollars or whatever. 
And I think all this kind of chatter about, I mean, the obvious story everyone brings up is the whole 10,000 bitcoins for two pizzas thing. But I mean, the reality is whatever it was worth in fiat terms at the time, 35 bucks or whatever, whatever it was in fiat dollars, surely that person could have just rebought. And so all this discussion about, oh, I spent this many bitcoins. Well, if the person wasn't rebuying or re-earning that much back, well, then that was really the error, right? Of course. Yeah. And really, people people always want to talk about Laszlo uh, buying the pizza with this Bitcoin. I, I'm celebrating the guy who sold the pizzas for the Bitcoin. That's who I sell as as a former merchant of uh, selling food for Bitcoin. That's what I celebrate. <laughs> that's Bitcoin Pizza Day to me. It's the guy who earned the Bitcoin. Yeah, I keep a uh, I have a casacious round. I keep on my wall. Probably not for much for long, much longer. I earned it when it was five dollars. Um, it's a it's the first edition casacious round. I and I earned it, you know, selling a sandwich and I. I look at it daily and it's like, it's like that reminder of that time period. It's like, this is what Bitcoin was at the time, you know, like, and I have like this proof that I've, I've hodled for almost a decade, you know, like this is what this is. And to me, it's like, it doesn't have a monetary value. It has, it has like that value of like, of the work that I put into it. So it's like, yeah, like anybody could have just bought these things. Anybody could have bought back then, you know, 10,000 Bitcoins for a few bucks or whatever, but they didn't. That's the thing. <laughs> they didn't because it wasn't worth anything. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess bringing it to the topic of spending Bitcoin then, can you give us a bit of your thoughts on how you think about spending Bitcoins now, whether that is you know buying it directly on the website or it's using, uh, say, a voucher website like bitrefill.com or perhaps some of these bill payment sites. What's your thoughts on spending bitcoin these days i spend way less and less bitcoin uh it's just it's just too good to hold and i'm not earning bitcoin anymore i'm just i've just been out of work like i've just been enjoying i have i have kids and it's just in a place where i can focus on on helping to raise my daughters and you know they're they're teenagers and it's like you know they only they're going to be out on their own soon too so it's like i'm in a spot where i can i can optimize that time and spend time with my wife as much as i can you know as i want like that's great to me so with 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 that in mind it's like okay I, i cut my spending way down it's just a better way to live i still enjoy things but for the most part yeah i keep spending low if i'm gonna spend bitcoin it's gonna be on Bitcoin businesses selling coin related items, or it's going to be to donate to developers or whatever, things like that. It'd be a cool thing. Like, I like to joke that Coin Kite's going to end up with everybody's Bitcoins because they make the coolest shit ever. Uh, <laughs> and you just you just can't resist buying more. It's like, do I need another cold card? Well, yeah. Well, I might as well, if I'm ordering, I might as well order some open dimes. Like that. Like, I don't mind using Bitcoin for Bitcoin companies like that. It's like, it's almost like you're saying, hey, thanks for doing what you do because. There aren't a lot of Bitcoin only company, you know, Bitcoin focused companies. You know, it's just shit coining is just the way to make money, right? So cool that there still are those options. And yeah, I those are the types of companies that it's like I like to spend Bitcoin with, or even to just like get friends involved. You know, if a friend's like, hey, I just want to get some Bitcoin, selling them not, you know, selling them Bitcoin just peer to peer. When I'm just like, I don't really want to sell Bitcoin right now, but you're finally, you know, after all these years, you're finally going to buy some. Buy from me. Go through the experience of of no KYC buying Bitcoin, like the way it should be. It's fine. Like the, when the price goes up and you're like, oh my gosh, it's worth so much more now. And I'm, like, and I'm like, yeah, I took a loss so you could experience that. And I'm fine with that. Like, that's cool. I don't have a problem doing that. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and, and I mean, it's about kind of trying to grow the, you know, the, the base of Bitcoiners out there as well. So I think that's um, worthwhile where you can do it. Um, so long as it's responsible, right within a responsible range. Um, and I guess I'm also curious whether you play around with lightning and Bitcoin nodes or any of those uh, Raspberry Pis and things like that. Do you play around with that stuff? I had there was a lot of standalone. Uh, I know now it's like it's really it's really easy. There's a lot of software for building your own Raspberry Pi. But I, I have I've bought for a while there. I was buying all the anytime somebody put out like a standalone node, I would I was basically I just wanted to support their effort, so I would buy like the node. And I've I've run so many of those, but I ended up just getting a uh, Linux box, and I just I just run. I basically have like a server now that I run uh, Bitcoin yeah. on, and I use Spectre Wallet a lot. Like I like I like to play around with with uh, different implementations like that. Like it's it's cool. Like like Spectre's just like a really cool way of using the Bitcoin wallet. And I used Electrum for a long time and using that with your own server is it's really hard when you're not super technical. And I don't consider myself super technical. I still end up, even when I set up my server, I'm just like, well, I'm going to be spending this day just screwing everything up about 20 times, but I'll learn, you know, I'll figure it out. And that's cool. Like I enjoy that. So yeah, like at this point now, I just have a full, full computer dedicated to Bitcoin only stuff. I play around with join market. I like Wasabi wallet. Like there's just so many cool things that I can do on it. And it's fun to me. It's just it's just like a fun thing to do like that. I, I like that. Like Bitcoin's still my life just because I'm not working in the industry. It's still just you know, every day. 
Yeah, that's really cool. And so I guess in terms of what you're looking out forward uh what what are you looking forward to in the bitcoin world whether that's you know from a technology point of view or maybe from an adoption point of view what are you looking forward to well you mentioned lightning i'm I'm actually not running um any lightning implementations on my server right now uh i have used it in the past i don't really for me like i don't really have a need for it as much yet maybe i do and i just i just been too lazy lately to to set something up i know like when when casa node originally launched it, they had their hardware they had like their hardware their node their standalone node and it was lightning oriented and i and i used that that was cool for a while i think lightning has a lot of lot of growth ahead of it and that's great like bitcoin has taught me patience <laughs> unlike anything else and that's fine like it doesn't need to be it doesn't need to be rushed. Things like this don't need to be rushed. And I think that's how a lot of us feel with Bitcoin, especially after the whole Segwit2x thing. Like we don't want to make huge changes to Bitcoin unless it's absolutely necessary. Like, you know, maybe taking a more conservative um, approach is is the better one. And I think that's a lot of us went through that who initially got into Bitcoin for uh, using it as a currency, using it, you know, all the time, the day-to-day life. You know, you, you kind of grow and you realize that. Yeah. So have you um, got any thoughts on like things that you want to see come to Bitcoin? Like, do you care as much about having Taproot and some of these other ideas or are you kind of just, you know, you're just kind of happy with what it is? Uh, I mean, I was happy with what it was years ago and and I think it's grown into something even better today. Yeah. Like the the, the, uh, the future updates of Bitcoin are exciting. I think that's that's really cool. A lot of them, there's nothing like really specific. I other than more focus on privacy, I think privacy is probably my my biggest issue. Like um, finding some way to increase privacy on the base layer or or wherever. Like like I said, like I I, I like using Join Market. It's it's a really cool piece of software, and and I've used Wasabi Wallet. Like I, but I, I think privacy is is going to be our biggest challenge ahead, especially as these people who don't care as much about privacy are involved in Bitcoin. I I don't know. I I feel like it's there's going to be a, an event in the future that it's it's going to get really ugly and it's going to make Segwit 2x look like nothing. I I don't know. I just I just kind of feel that way. Like the political atmosphere around Bitcoin, you know, there are we were already hearing it lately where it's like, "Oh, it's used for crimes," you know. Never mind that dollars are used for crimes, but you know, like uh, that, that so so I'm just concerned. I do have some concerns around that. Um yeah, so I wonder if maybe we end up seeing, well, who knows, right? But, it, but what if we see some kind of, you know, government KYC fork versus the sovereign freedom Bitcoin fork? And, you know, then there's like another battle to come. I don't know. Who knows, right? I'm just kind of speculating. But that's, I guess that's something that is on people's minds, right? Right. And I think the one thing Bitcoin has going for it, well, there's a couple of things that Bitcoin has going for it that really no other shitcoin does. I mean, it, it has... It has no leader, you know. Satoshi's gone. Please don't ever come back. Like that's fine. Like he did his he did his thing. It was great, but he's complete. He's 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 irrelevant at this point as far as like the future of Bitcoin, right? Like him him staying irrelevant is the best thing that could happen and um, and, and stay for Bitcoin. So we we have that. Uh, you look at something like Ethereum that had the DAO the DAO hack and 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 that like their ledger was 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 not immutable. <laughs> <laughs> like that that's been proven so i think trying to make a big change to bitcoin would be a lot harder it would be a lot easier if there was a history of those changes being easier you know the fact that it hasn't been i think i think that's a good thing like i'm, I'm still po- very positive on bitcoin and i think the more that people get into it now the the hard the, the, the less likely they'll be wanting to change it especially if you have politicians who are super statist but are holding bitcoin they will maybe less likely to want to make drastic changes that will cut into their bottom line, you know, for greed reasons. I don't know. That's just, that's just an example I can think of off the top of my head, but you know, things like that, where it's just going to, it hopefully is harder to make huge drastic changes or, or attacks on Bitcoin. So I guess if you had to leave as a closing thought for any listeners, maybe uh, many of whom are not as uh, OG as you are, have you got any tips for them on weathering the storm and kind of riding the ups and downs and just any tips for them to think about from a you know bitcoin perspective yeah i think being plugged into a bitcoin community really helps uh bitcoin twitter is a lot of fun it's also just a teeny tiny fraction of bitcoin users most bitcoin users aren't on twitter and that's fine uh but having friends having positive people around you who are, are into the same kind of thing you are. I mean, this goes not just for Bitcoin, but really for anything. But but like people who are on the same page, people you can weather the storm with, 
makes it a lot easier. You know, like through bear markets with my wife, who's also, she's just, just as much a Bitcoiner as I am. She got into it, you know, a few months after I did. Like we've, we've been on this journey for years. It, it, that just makes it so much easier than just being alone, uh, not having anybody to talk to and just dealing with the hard times of Bitcoin. Because right now it's the good times, right? And we've, we've been through the good times, the bad times or whatever. And just, and just stay focused on why you're in Bitcoin. Because if you're in it just for money, I, I don't know, like if it's just about making money, you're, you're never going to, I don't know, like you're, are you ever really going to be happy? But it's important, I think. <laughs> but you know, like, yeah, like it, there's more to it than that. Like think think about what Bitcoin enables you to do. Like if it, if it can enable you to be more free and have more freedom in your life, like that's that's incredible. And you don't need boatloads of money for that you could reach a certain point where you could be like oh hey i have enough bitcoin and you know i could i could get by on this you know take a couple years off or something and just you know with 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 my savings plus whatever i'm hodling and just just kind of just relax and help myself or whatever i don't know or just keep grinding it out and earning bitcoin or you know dip your toes into that or buying bitcoin whatever you got to do keep stacking Fantastic. Uh, so Mandrick, I guess, uh, I'm not sure if you want people to follow you, but uh, your Twitter is at uh, Mandrick. Is there anywhere else you'd like people to follow you or anything like that? No, that's, I mean, that's pretty much it. I, I mostly tweet about Bitcoin and, and meat because meat's my, meat's my one passion I'm more passionate about than Bitcoin. I, I, can't, I can't stack if I'm dead. Yeah, the Bitcoin carnivory is definitely a strong theme in our world. And, you know, I certainly I'm into that as well. Well, look, look, man, it was really great chatting with you. I think um, I think I'm pretty sure the listeners will enjoy this one. So thanks again for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on. Make sure you subscribe to the show and get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 246. Thanks, and I will see you in the Citadels. 